Huh, we're in the second week of a series um, which is called Money Stories, and we're really telling stories, a little bit like stories in the seats, telling stories of people um, and how they interact with God and money together. Um, uh, I am Kurt, and this is my beautiful wife, Kara. Good morning. Um, this is my husband, Kurt. As of May, we have been married for 30 years. Yay. <laughs> Uh, Many of you have seen Kurt up here as he's been part of the teaching team for 20 years. Um, He likes to teach about big picture themes that flow through the whole Bible, but he has had one rule for the entire 20 years, and this is it. He has uh, two topics he refuses to teach about. One of them is money. Today, we're talking about money. Yeah. Probably none of you know that Kara has also been on the teaching team for 13 years. That's because she's an unseen member of the team. She comes to all the teaching team meetings and she helps us discuss the topics, but she also then puts together the puzzle that is trying to get every teacher at every venue in a way that works out for the schedule and for themselves too. I don't know if you are aware, but every teaching goes to eight, up to eight places. Uh, it's a very complicated Rubik's Cube. She also uh, has been Dave's uh, partner and assistant for those years. She's what Orchard calls volunteer staff, which means she's on staff but doesn't get paid. Um, so she's done that for these 13 years. She's also had one rule that whole time, which is I will never, never, ever, never, never get on the stage. Uh, the only thing that could come close to getting her on the stage is if we were going to talk about money, which she's very passionate about. And so today we're talking about money. This morning, we're just going to be telling you our life story. Uh, There won't be a lot of Bible verses, but we sincerely hope that you see God all through it, because we did as we were living it. And the story is much longer and way more complicated than we have time for. So just keep in mind that we're very old, uh, and this story has unraveled over, okay, I'm only old. She stayed the same for 30 years somehow. I also want to say that the reason that we take time uh, uh, on this precious stage, we take time all the time around Orchard to just tell stories is because that we really actually believe that you can and you should find God in his word and that you can and you should find God living in the lives of people who are living with him. It takes a different kind of looking and listening, but it's a kind that's super valuable. It helps you to examine your own story and look for God. And it helps you to look at other people and know that their lives aren't a straight line. They're not that easy to define. Uh, uh, It helps you to know that these stories are dynamic and not static. They're lived one day at a time, but they're also lived across a long period of time. Before we jump in, we want to introduce our family to you. Here's Kurt's favorite picture of our crazy family. We believe this shows the personalities of each of our uh, people. Um, Here's mine. And isn't that lovely? Everyone's looking at the camera smiling and wearing purple. We have three boys, uh, Logan, Caleb, and Ethan, and two girls chose to be with us through marriage, Lauren to Logan and Claire to Caleb. So chapter one of our story. I accidentally started a business when I was going to UNI. As a college student, I was interested in computers and photography. And one day, these guys from John Deere came to you and I, and they had a project where they were, and get this, trying to figure out, how do you get a photo onto a computer? I told you I was an old man. Uh, That was my first project 30 years ago that I worked on there. 
Kara and I were married, and we started getting paid to do this cool stuff. Um, our first payment was $1,800, and we seriously thought we were the richest people on earth. We cashed it into 18 $100 bills and went around having a party. It was a little bit like, you know. <laughs> I, hired, I hired a kid from you and I to do some work for me, and after teaching him what we did, I virtually never saw him again. I didn't know how to be a boss. I didn't talk to him, and we just emailed him a check. No, not emailed, obviously. We just mailed him a check. Um, I don't even know his name to this day, and as far as I know, he's still there working, I, but we haven't sent him a check in a very long time. Things started picking up steam with this business, and um, we knew nothing, nothing about starting a business or owning a business. We were college kids, and we had this business, and we really didn't mean to, and it wasn't a really good way to get started, but it's how we got started. As Kurt said, we had no idea what we were doing, especially in the area of finance. We knew nothing about budgeting, self-employment tax, filing forms, and managing an inconsistent income. I quit my teaching job, we moved into an office, and I started doing books and billing. Eventually, I decided I needed to learn a little bit more about payroll and business finance, so I signed up for a class at Hawkeye. During one of the breaks, after hearing yet another thing we should have been doing but hadn't, I went up to the teacher and told him he might as well take me to jail right now. <laughs> he was very helpful and told me what to do and when and cleared the way so I didn't have to go to jail. Business was going well. We had a lot of work. We got a, lot of, a loan and bought new equipment and furniture for the office. We bought nicer cars and were careless with spending. We filled credit cards and home equity loans with appliances, eating out, business expenses, taxes, medical bills, car repairs, trips to see family, and a vacuum cleaner, a door-to-door salesman convinced us we needed to keep our son safe. We did not have carpet. <laughs> our planning mostly consisted of payment plans. We asked ourselves whether we thought we could afford that, uh, we could make the payments for the thing we wanted. We never looked at the total dollar amount. All we saw was $32 a month. Yeah, so we had a business, and we had employees, and we were feeling kind of cool, actually. But what I didn't anticipate is that the work that we were doing might someday be done. I didn't see it at all. It was not something I foresaw. And then all of a sudden, these 13 people that we employed just didn't have anything to do. And it was all on us. And it seemed inevitable uh, that our business that we never really intended to start was going to fail. And eventually it did. One of the most vivid memories of my life is sitting on our front staircase just crying to myself. I knew that the business was not going to work. It's not going to happen. I had failed. Looking back at this hard time, it's interesting to look at the, through the lens of the stories we told ourselves and the stories others told us. How were we framing what was happening? How were people in our lives framing what was happening to us? The events or circumstances are the same, but each person had a different story or view. I told myself a story of shame and silence. Work was drying up, and there wasn't enough money to pay the bills. We were just recognizing what was happening and realizing mistakes that we'd made. Most of our employees were family or close friends, and we couldn't let them go sometimes paying their salaries with credit. We went deeper and deeper into debt, 
and it all began to crumble. I personally knew our banker, and I respected him. I felt I was letting so many people down, ourselves down and God down. I felt shame, and I wanted to hide it from everyone. We didn't talk about what was happening to anyone, to any of our family or friends. People we went to for advice or help had many different stories to tell us. Some people told us a story of walking away or quitting. We started seeking help and talked to many advisors. One of them set us up with their accountant who took one look at our finances and told us our only option was to declare bankruptcy. He told us it wouldn't be very fun to live the way that we needed to live in order to pay it back. In one of these meetings, one of them just looked at me across the table, pointed his finger at me like a gun, pulled the trigger, and said, just put a bullet in it. I sat across from him and couldn't even talk. I don't know if you know the story of Job in the Bible, but he had horrible things happen to him. He lost his livelihood, his children, his health. As I sat there, the words of Job's wife and Job 2.9 came to me. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Although I would never compare our situation to Job's, I felt if we accepted this course of action without exhausting all other options, I was doing just that. We kept fighting. The story's getting a bit more somber, huh? Some people told us a story about punishment. So we all have pictures in our heads about why somebody else especially has gotten themselves into financial trouble. And many of those ideas include that the people are getting what they deserve and they should go through hardship in order to punish them. We heard those kind of stories about our situation. Some people felt, and they weren't entirely wrong, that we had gotten ourselves into this situation and we should feel the full weight of the consequences in order to teach us a lesson. Other people, though, told us a story of a second chance and of grace. We had several people in our lives that believed that we could change and that we could learn from our mistakes. They really had believed in us. These people helped us stay afloat. They helped us restructure our business debt into a 0% interest loan over a long period of time. They helped us sell our business assets as small as they were, and they even hired some of our employees. These people we are grateful for as we look back. It's a lesson that we haven't forgotten. If we didn't have these people, and we know that not everybody does, our story would have gone very, very differently. We now try to be this kind of a person in somebody else's story. I told my own self a story of failure. While Kara was carrying around the story of guilt and shame over our finances, I was carrying a different weight. Much of my identity had been tied up in becoming an entrepreneur, and now I was failing at that. I know that our identity should not be in what we do. I know that. And I know that I was doing something that I never really intended to do. I know that. But still, I, for a time, despite God's better story for my life, put on a story of failure. And then our story starts to take a turn, a story of hope from Larry Burkett. In desperation, I went to the library to find a, a book about finances from a Christian perspective, and I found Larry Burkett. I started to read and do everything he said, and we started to live very differently. I filled out his workbook 
I tracked out every penny coming and going with an archaic paper and pencil method that I still use. We created a spending plan, and it didn't work. We kept working to find ways to spend less and live less expensively. I stopped going to stores. Fortunately, we didn't have Amazon. I became good at spending little money. I bought groceries only once a month. We sold our newer cars and bought a $500 rusty van with cash. We called it God's van because that was the most dependable car we had ever owned. One of the things that got to be a joke with our family and friends was that most of our furniture was from the side of the road. We'd get a call from a friend that said, hey, I saw a couch on 6th Street, it looks kind of decent, and we'd take off and pick up that couch. Uh, we still have some of that furniture. We stopped drinking pop and coffee, we didn't eat out, we didn't have cell phones, we canceled our cable. Our son said, please, don't take away the TV because people already think I'm weird enough as it is. As hard as it was to change our spending habits, it was also empowering and filled with a lot of grace. Slowly, we dug out, and slowly, we could breathe again. We started tithing or giving 10% at the beginning of this journey. In a clearly not well-thought-out theological strategy, I thought, it already doesn't work. What more do we have to lose? Every dollar that came in, we put 10% into our giving account, sometimes in 50-cent or $1 increments. I did laundry for some of Kurt's coworkers, and they would pay $10, and we would give a dollar. And we continued to feel God's presence and blessing in our lives. It didn't work, but it did work. I hear people say, I don't make much money, so I can't give. It doesn't get easier as you make more money. If you can't give $1 out of 10, will you be able to give 100 out of 1,000 or 1,000 out of 10,000? At one point during this recovery journey, we got a fairly big check that was able to pay off the remainder of our business debt, that loan that we had gotten earlier. After a teaching about money at Orchard Hill, I need to have an aside here. <laughs> uh, just so you know, these teachings made me angry every year. I was so hurt and scared, and I didn't think the teachers understood our lives or what we were going through. So I had a standing meeting with Dave Bartlett, the week after those teachings. And we'd sit in Village Inn and argue about money, or mostly I argued with myself, and he smiled and nodded. So if you are feeling hurt or sad or scared or angry about this teaching, we understand money causes strong feelings. So back to my story. Something a teacher said that morning made me remember something about Larry Burkett in his books so I scoured his books until I found it. He said, even if you go bankrupt, you should try to pay off all your debts with interest. Even though we hadn't declared bankruptcy, I always had that 0% interest loan in my head. I had such uh, respect for that banker, who I learned later had a very hard time convincing his board of directors to allow that loan. I met with him when we paid the final balance of that loan and asked him how much the interest would have been. His answer was around $5,000. We already had plans for doing something a little fun with that money, but I went home to Kurt and said, I really believed we needed to pay that interest. He agreed, and I peacefully sent that check and closed that chapter. 
It's kind of a funny day to bring $5,000 check to a bank that, for a loan they've already written off and they don't know what to do with it. I'm like, how do you process this? <laughs> Things seemed kind of on track. Um, our company, of course, was long gone, but I had gotten a job and then another, and I felt like things were moving up. But here's another lesson. Our story was not finished. It wasn't static. So during the dot-com crash, I suddenly and unexpectedly lost my job again. It was bad for sure. But for Kara and I, this time it wasn't like the last time. This time we knew a little bit more about how to act. This time we knew more that God was writing this story. Now, of course, it was scary. Of course, it was lean. Of course, it didn't feel like we had enough. But this time, it didn't feel hopeless. This time, the story wasn't about shame or, or hiding. This time, it wasn't about walking away. It wasn't about failure. It wasn't about punishment. This time, we were looking for God. This time, a year after I lost that job, Kara made a list of 30 things that were great about losing a job. That's the kind of story we were trying to tell. That's the kind of story we were looking for. The story of a plan. If you're like me, by this time you want something specific and action-oriented, this section is for you. We learned a lot from Larry Burkett, but have also learned from many other authors. We're going to talk about how we did it, and this method worked for us, but there are many good advisors out there. The steps are intended to be sequential. You do step one before two and two before three. However, depending on where you are in your journey, from an in-debt or income crisis, to needing to save more, to becoming extravagantly generous, you decide which step is where you begin. And as you listen to these steps, we have another thought for you. As you begin or continue to align your story of money to the story you believe God would have you live, please be gentle with yourself and with, the other, and with others. It's our tendency to assign blame and guilt to ourselves and others, and these things get in the way of actually making progress and becoming more and more like Jesus. So ask yourself this. How would Jesus have me live in regard to finances? And how would Jesus have me treat myself and the people I'm walking through this with? So our first step is to track your spending every cent. This is a way you're gonna be able to figure out what your current financial situation is and plan for your future. It's helpful to have three months of tracking in order to get a good idea of what you spend. And this is a lot easier now. Most of us don't have to save receipts. We can look back through bank statements and debit cards and credit cards and figure it out. It can be unsettling to launch into and you will undoubtedly Realize you spend more money in some categories than you thought you did, but we believe that knowing is better than not knowing. Create a spending plan, including tithing, and live within your means. If we say only one thing today, it would be this. Your budget equals 100% of what's coming in. You can argue, and we did too in the beginning, that we can't spend less on insurance because that's what it costs. We can't spend less on our car because we're upside down and can't trade it in, but that's, and that's what it costs, or I can't get my housing budget below this. Larry Bouquet would say, okay, but it all has to equal 100%. When you add everything up that you spend and it's more than 100%, you need to keep working. You can't make a budget 
that equals more than 100%. You get to choose which categories are important to your family, but the goal and the total is still 100%. You get that? <laughs> uh, it's like that Saturday Night Live skit, right? What, you mean if I don't have it, I can't spend it? Yes. <laughs> so uh, step number three is save for an emergency fund. Most people recommend that you get $1,000 set aside as quickly as you can, especially if you're in a crisis. That $1,000 is trying to protect you from unexpected uh, um, uh, emergencies. But I want to encourage you or talk to you about what is an emergency. Christmas isn't an emergency. It comes every single year. You know that it's coming. And if you haven't looked ahead, I'll just tell you, this year it's on December 25. Just, just saying. Uh, also, every time you put your foot on the, brake of your, uh, on the brakes in your car, your brakes are wearing out. New brakes are coming for you. They're not an emergency. Unless you haven't done the other steps. Early on, sometimes, new brakes can be an emergency. Once you get into later steps of the process, new brakes aren't an emergency. Number four, pay off your credit cards and other consumer debt. This took us lots and lots of years. It was very slow and hard. Um, but every time we paid off a loan at a bank or we shredded up a credit card and called them to cancel it, we had a party. They didn't like that behavior, but we didn't care what they thought. Number five, save three to six months of expenses. Yes, I just said that. Save three to six months of expenses. That means have an account with enough money to live for three to six months in case you lose your income sometime. This has happened to us more than one time. The amount of peace that it can bring to have that sitting in an account or in an investment is, is, is amazing. It brings so much peace. Number six is to save for purchases, upcoming expenses, and retirement. We would never have thought we could pay cash for an appliance or a car. Every month, we put money into a car repair fund. Every month, we put money into a Christmas fund, and a house repair fund, a medical expense fund, and a clothing fund, because you never know when someone's going to ask you to teach at Orchard and you need to buy a new outfit. <laughs> a little insight from our lives here. One thing we were surprised by is it can be really hard to transition your motivation from a focused mission of paying off debt into a mindset of saving for future purchases and expenses. And then it was even harder for me to transition from that type of targeted savings to preparing for retirement. And our last step is to finally enjoy freedom and give more. We have lived in the bondage to debt, in the shame, and in the fear. Right from the beginning, as we started living, how we felt God wanted us to live, we felt more freedom and peace. Now we have more opportunity to give generously when we hear a story of need or a story of what God is doing somewhere around the world. These are the steps we took. We adhered to these principles pretty strictly and slowly worked our way out from the financial pit. There are many ways for you to take your next step. In January, there will be a discussion group about the teachings in this series. Watch for the next time financial peace is offered. We encourage you to do something to begin to move in the right direction. And the final chapter is the story we're in now. And we don't even know what that story is. 
One thing we learned in the past, and we're relearning again, is that the story isn't static. The story moves and is dynamic and is always changing. Our story right now seems a little bit circular to some of the things that we've just told you. One thing that we're learning is that there's never a time when you've made it and you're done with discipline and education. There's never going to be a time when you don't have to keep trying. Um, one thing that we're doing new just recently is that um, when we feel um, overwhelmed by our lives and our current uh, situation and we think we need to solve the entire problem all at one time, Kara has started saying, do one hard thing today. You don't need to fix the whole problem today. You just need to do one hard thing. So this week, she actually sent me pictures of herself around town doing one hard thing, like bringing clothes back to Goodwill. It's been, it, was, it was fun. That's <laughs> a hard that thing, hard. right? <laughs> you would never believe if you came to my house almost any day of the week, you'd see Kara sitting at her desk with her paper and notebook, tracking every single dime on paper. We've made lots of money, and we've made almost no money, and every time... We still want to spend more money than we have. There's never going to be a time when you don't want something more. You need to be somebody like Kara, somebody who stays at it, who keeps the discipline. You need to realize that there's always going to be more things to say no to than to say yes to. A couple of months ago, I taught up here on the Sermon on the Mount. And what I was trying to teach, what I was trying to get across, is that I think the Sermon on the Mount is a strong call to live in heaven right now. You don't need to wait to get started. You should live in heaven right here. That kind of thinking applies to finances as well. We were asked at the beginning if there was any particular scripture that we based our financial perspectives on. Well, our answer is, well, yeah, there's a lot of things in the Bible that we put into action. And things like Larry Burkett and things like Dave Ramsey will give you all kinds of scriptural basis to base uh, what your behavior is. But in the biggest and most important ways, we base our lives on this kind of big story that God is unraveling. Listen to this. God made the universe and everything in it for his pleasure for his glory it's his story we are part of that creation a part that he dearly loves you and me and our friends and our neighbors and people who live in Chicago and Mississippi and Haiti and Thailand and God says love each other like and because I love you and remember that I am your God. I'm the God of everything. And remember that I am in you and you are in me. And that I am in them and they are in me. So if one of the least of these, your brothers, is in need, help him out. If you have a sister who has no coat and you have three, give her one. And be careful. It's so hard to have wealth and not treat yourself like a God. Love me and show your love for me by loving what I love, which is the created things, including your neighbors. In many ways, that scriptural story holds Kara and I to this higher standard. Giving to God's people doesn't have a limit. It doesn't have a, a top. There's no simple rule that you can just follow. It's just the way that you have to be. Live in heaven now and act towards people, act towards God, act towards yourself 
Act towards, as she said earlier, the other people you're going through this journey with in a way that you would act towards them in heaven. We hope this story can help you. We hope you saw God's hand in it. Like we said before, we sure did. We hope that our story might inspire you through positive and negative examples to renew the call in your life to be disciplined and to be educated. We hope that you can walk in your story with bravery because there's going to be times that it's just going to scare you. We hope that you can walk with generosity. We hope that you can walk with kindness. We hope that you can be kind to yourself and to others around you. And most importantly, we hope that you can learn to live in peace. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, what a story that you have unraveled with us. Thanks for being in and through us and with us. In times that we listened and, and did things well and in times, lots of them, where we didn't listen and didn't do things very well. And I pray for um, us and for the people in the room who might be scared of what tomorrow brings or who might not know what tomorrow brings or who know absolutely what tomorrow brings and don't want to face it. I pray that there can be some comfort, there can be some solace, there can be some friends who come around and give them grace, give us grace. Now we pray that you will inhabit us, inhabit our souls as we sing these songs to you. Amen.